Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, just an opportunity that we can gather together as your church to look at your word. And we pray that you would bless this time, Lord, that we would learn from it, that we would be encouraged, and Lord, that, that we would grow in our love towards you, that this passage would deepen our understanding of you, and that we would be able to carry this uh, throughout tomorrow and through the rest of the week, Lord, that, that it would build us up and that we would be um, salt and light to the world around us, Lord. So we commit this time to you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we look in, in Romans chapter 5, um, you know, for those of you who don't know, Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, if you don't know the story, he gets saved uh, on the road to Damascus. And, uh, and as he gets saved, he gets this revelation from God. And when he gets saved, he goes into the wilderness for, for three years, and he spends some, some time there in the wilderness learning directly from the Lord. And, and what happens in those three years is the Lord kind of takes this man who was persecuting his very church, his bride, and he kind of took him into this time of just one-on-one discipleship. And so when Paul left the forest, Paul had on his heart some, some very serious areas. You know, he had... Uh, places like Rome and, and Corinth and Ephesus and the, the region of Galatia and the, the city of Thessalonica. He had these big ancient first century cities on his heart that he wanted to go and take the gospel to. So the Lord was building up the Apostle Paul. And if you read the Bible, you see that for years and years and years, the Apostle Paul was hindered by the hand of the Lord to go into Rome. So and, and you see this in Romans chapter 1. Paul says that I long to see you, that I might bring some encouragement to you, and two, that I might receive some encouragement from you. And we see in, in Acts chapter 2 that the church in Rome was probably started by some Jews who were there at Pentecost. I believe it's Acts 2.10 that it says some of those who were there were, were from, from Rome and other cities, but Rome didn't have something that all these other churches had, and that was apostolic instruction from the Apostle Paul, someone who was commissioned by God himself to go and build up the early church. And so for years, Paul did not make it to Rome, but Paul's big heart was to get the gospel out to the rest of the world, to the entire world, and the entire known world at that time was Europe, Rome, the Middle East, you know, people didn't really know about back here yet. So Rome was the big stage. Rome was the big stage where they wanted to take the gospel. You know, that was the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And that was the very heart of the Apostle Paul. So I guess you could say in today's terms, Paul's kind of big goal in his ministry was a ministry of just church planting in big metropolitan areas, you could say. You know, you think of cities like Los Angeles and New York City and Chicago and I don't know, name another one, right? So this was kind of where, where Paul's heart was, to, to take the gospel to these giant cities. And I don't know about you guys, but 
for me and to go to take the gospel to downtown Los Angeles, I would be pretty frightened. I mean, that takes a lot of courage and boldness. And so that was Paul's heart, because if, it got, if I got the gospel to Rome, man, then, then everybody would know. Because Rome was the capital. Rome was basically the capital of what they thought at the time was the entire world. I mean, if we got the gospel to Rome, it would change the world. And you know what it did? The gospel got to Rome, and the gospel got to the rest of the world. And what did it do? It changed the world. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, over the last 2,000 years, as it stood the very test of time, unlike most other things, the gospel has stood the test of time, and it's changed the entire world as we know it, right? So, for many years, right, Paul could not make it to Rome. And I don't want to speculate here, but a part of me wonders... So I don't want to speculate, so I'm going to speculate. <laughs> that maybe Paul got a little discouraged. And maybe Paul thought, man, what, what if I don't make it to Rome? What if I don't get there? So what he does was he writes probably one of the most influential letters that this world has ever seen. I mean, if we look at a book of the Bible that has from A to Z the key Christian doctrine that we still hold to 2,000 years later. I mean, it, it stems, I don't want to say it stems, but a big part of that's from the, the book of Romans. I mean, if we look at, you know, Martin Luther, who kick-started the, the Reformation, I mean, it was Romans chapter 1 that he read out of where he had that big light bulb go off where he's like, oh my gosh, the righteous live by faith. And that's what stemmed the, the stapling of the 95 Theses to the church in somewhere in Germany, I don't know the name, but... Point, point being, the book of Romans changes lives, and it's changed the world. And so, as we look at Romans chapter 5, uh, a little bit of a, a backstory, kind of, you know, Paul kind of lays out in a systematic way, you know, like I said, the, the key doctrines of the Christian faith, and to, to put it almost in, a, in an, I don't know, an everyday example, he kind of organizes the doctrinal closet, Right? As we go into our own closets, I don't know about you, I have a pretty unorganized closet, but maybe if some of you guys have organized closets, you'll see that you might have some shirts right here and some pants right here, and you got your work, per, your work pants and your, your, uh, your church pants, and you got your work shirts and your church shirts, and you got your socks and your shoes and your, your glasses, and you have everything that you would need, and it's there for a reason, and it's there for a purpose, and it serves its purpose, and you use that every single day. Well, just like our regular closet that we might have at home, that's so much more important for the Christian faith because we have doctrines like the grace of God, being saved by grace through faith that we need every day, just like we need our shirt every day. We have the love of God that's supposed to motivate us. We're supposed to be motivated by the love of God. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says it's the love of Christ that compels us. We need that every day. We need to know that the Lord's coming back every single day. And so Paul organizes this in Romans, you know, 1 through 16. And as we get to Romans chapter 5, look down with me at verse, or so I'm sorry, chapter 4, the last word of chapter 4. What's that word right there? Justification. And so Romans chapter 5 is going to build off of that last word, justification. Because we could assume that because the Jews here in Rome hadn't received apostolic instruction like the rest of the churches have, what was one of the big problems of the early church with the Jews and the Gentiles? 
it was it was the it was the I don't know what's the word that you would use. Um, a lot of Jews were really stumbled by the fact that the old um, Mosaic law had been done away with. And they were really struggling with this idea of the new covenant, that Christ has fulfilled all of that. And so we see that the, you know, primarily in the book of Acts, that the, the Jews were really struggling with circumcision. And well, what about all the sacrifices? And, and Paul, his main ministry being to the Gentiles was, hey, look, Jesus Christ was that sacrifice. And we don't have to go out and sacrifice our lambs anymore because Jesus Christ was that sacrificial lamb. He is the very Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John writes. Right? So it's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so I would imagine that a lot of these Jews might have had a little bit of an issue dealing with this. And so we see that build up to Romans chapter 4. And that last little passage there, it's all about realizing the promises of God are all through faith. They're all through faith. They're not by works. It says that Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so this whole uh, fifth chapter, or I'm sorry, fourth chapter is built on the righteousness uh, by faith. And Romans chapter 5 is going to look at the practical implications of righteousness and justification by faith. So justification, for those who don't know, justification does two things. It's one, it's the taking away of the sin of the believer. It's taking away the sin. It's a clean slate, but it's also adding righteousness. So it's cleansing us, but it's also adding to us righteousness. And that righteousness is not our own righteousness, but it's the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. And so it takes away our sin, and it adds the righteous life of Jesus Christ. You know, I heard it said one time that Jesus, how did it go? It said Jesus was treated as if he had lived our lives, so that we could be treated as if we had lived Jesus' life. And so we are now clothed in the righteousness of God, while our sins are being taken away, we're clothed in the righteousness of God, and that's justification. You know, think of think of uh, having a piece of paper, right, and you're taking notes on it. Say you go through this entire Bible study and you're taking notes, but you decide that at the end of the Bible study, you're like, you know what, I want to reuse this piece of paper for whatever reason, so I'm going to erase all my notes and all my scribbles and everything that I did. And you might be able to get a good bit of that off. You know, you might be able to erase it enough that it might you know, maybe the next time you go and write on it, it might not distract you that much. But the bottom line is you're always going to see what was there. You're always going to see what was there. You can never fully erase something. Well, what justification does was instead of erasing it, it puts a fresh piece of paper on top of it. And so we're not, you know, living a life that's partially covered. You know, we're not living a life where Jesus is kind of just hiding the sin. But no, it's an entirely new blank piece of paper over our lives that we have something completely fresh to write with now. We have something that we can look forward to and move forward in and with the righteousness of God. You know, I want to say it's Galatians that says that, you know, if, it, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You know, all things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. And that's what justification is. It's the taking away of our sin and adding to us the righteousness of God, which was in Jesus Christ. And so, like I said before, Romans 5 is building on that idea of justification. And so, look with me at verse 1, chapter 5. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, 
Notice that therefore, looking back at Romans chapter 4, it says, having been justified. And one key essential part to justification is it's not a process. Sanctification is a process. When, when we're born again, look, Jesus said you must be born again, right? So to be born again, it has an instant point in which we're born again. A baby's not, he's either in the womb or he's out of the womb, right? The, the baby can't be sitting there waiting to be born for days and days and days and days. Look, the, the baby, when it's coming, it's coming and it happens. And so when we're born again, it's something that happens. It's when a person exercises faith in Jesus Christ that he's born again. You know, it's not something that we're continuously trying to achieve. It's not something that we have to work for. But it's something that happens the moment that we exercise faith in Jesus Christ. So the having been is crucial because what it does is it allows us to rest in the fact that we are justified. And we have a right relationship with God and we have a clean slate with God. And we don't have to continuously work for that because it's received. It's a gift. It's not something that we have to work for. It's something that God has already put his best up front and we just have to receive it by faith. And so having been justified by faith, what are some of the practical um, applications like that? What are, what are the benefits of being justified by faith? It says, well, look, we have peace with God. So the Bible, before we had peace with God, actually called us enemies of God. And so now because we've been justified by faith and we, when God looks down at the earth and he sees little sinful Ryan Soldano, he doesn't see little sinful Ryan Soldano anymore. He sees his son Jesus Christ because I'm now clothed in the righteousness of God. And we can walk in that. And that's kind of what it says in verse 2, but we'll get through that. So it says we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And Notice that it doesn't say we have peace with God through a couple other people and Lord Jesus Christ. You know, because there's a lot of people in this world who really genuinely believe they have peace with God. But it's not through Jesus Christ. And I, you have to tell them, look, you don't have peace with God. I'm sorry. But according to the Bible, it's through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 14 that I'm, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And that nobody, and when Jesus said nobody, he meant nobody gets to the Father except through me. And so assuming that we can get to God the Father any other way is, is, is quite foolish, and it's sad. And it's, it's up to us, the church, that telling the truth and love, say, hey, brother, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't think you have a relationship with God that you think you have. And so having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, notice too the word peace with God. Notice this isn't the peace of God. Because the peace of God comes after we have peace with God. But the first things first is we need to first have peace with God. And once we have peace with God and we experience the grace of God, it's only then that we can truly have the peace of God. And so verse 2, it says, Through whom, through this whom is, is Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we'll pause right there. It says, so, through whom, that whom is Jesus Christ, what we just talked about, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And so we have now access, through Jesus Christ, we have access into the very grace of God. You know, Chuck Smith wrote a book, um, if you haven't read it, I encourage you, it's called Why Grace Changes Everything. 
And grace sure does change everything. Because what grace does, and, and the definition of grace to a biblical uh, perspective is God's unmerited, undeserved favor upon our lives because we're not clothed in our own righteousness of what we just built on. We're clothed in the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. You know, I think sometimes I do this myself. I, I read the Bible and I'm like, man, if, if only I had the relationship with God that Jesus had. Well, look, we, we do. We do because we're clothed in the righteousness of God. We now have that peace with God. We now have access by faith into this very grace of God. And notice, too, in which we stand. Like we, we currently are standing and we're planted and we're rooting in this very grace of God. And grace does two things for us. In grace, one, it saves us. It's the very grace of God that saves us. But two, grace is also the fuel for which we live a Christian life. Because we don't conquer sin and we don't love our neighbors and we don't love God if it's not for the very grace of God in our lives. And, you know, Chuck Smith also wrote in that book, because the beginning of the book was him building on the idea that when he was growing up, he always tried to earn God's favor. And I, I think it's almost a natural way to act before we're instructed in, in the ways of the Lord, that, that we almost have to work up to God. I think that's kind of a natural thing, as sad as it is. So uh, little Chuck Smith is growing up, and he's uh, making all these rules and requirements of, I'm not going to do this, this, and this, and this. And he begins to work towards it, and then inevitably he fails, and he's kicking himself, and he's you know, throwing a fit, and he's upset because God's not going to bless him, and he's trying so hard. He's not watching any movies. He's not smoking cigarettes with all the other boys, and and he's wondering where the blessing is from God. He's like, God, why don't you bless me? I'm seeing you bless all the other people, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing good, God. And he says, writing in that book, he says, you know, I found myself being more blessed by God the more I just believed. The more that I just believed that I was going to receive a blessing from God. That instead of waking up and me trying to earn my blessing, I'm just going to wake up and believe that God's going to bless me. You know why? Because I'm not clothed in my own righteousness. I'm clothed in the righteousness of God that comes by faith. And so now we can wake up every day and we can say, you know what, God, regardless of what I did yesterday or regardless of what I did last week or regardless of what I'm going to do tomorrow, I know that I can stand in the grace of God knowing that I'm not clothed in my own righteousness but I'm clothed in the righteousness of your son. And we can walk in that and we can have confidence in that and really, we should rejoice in that. And that's what it says in the latter half of verse 2. And, and not only that, but too, look, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so not only do we have access by faith into the grace, but we can also rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And see, as the Christian, for all of us who are born again, we've, we've had a little bit of a taste of the love of God, haven't we? I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what motivates us. That's what drives us. It's, it's experiencing the grace and the love of God in our hearts. And so because of that, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And this hope, this is the best part, I believe. This hope in verse 2 is not a hope that if someone were to ask me if the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl next year. Because that's, as we all know, that... I'm a Cowboys fan, so that lets me down at just about every single year. I think we're doing all good and we hit the playoffs and I'm crushed, Right? I'm sure Eagles fans can, can agree with that too. But we rejoice in hope of this glory of God. And hope for the Christian is not a hope like hoping in our favorite NFL team. 
Because hoping in our favorite NFL team gets us bummed out year in and year out. But the hope for the Christian, right, faith for the Christian is looking back in faith. But hope for the Christian is looking forward in faith. It's the same faith that we exercise looking back into the life of Jesus that we look forward in hope. That same faith we look in faith forward, and that's our hope and of rejoicing in the glory of God. And so that's what can help us to rejoice is that faith looking forward. That's what hope is because this hope doesn't disappoint. That's what verse 5 says, that this hope does not disappoint. And so those are, that's just one practical uh, application of being justified by faith and having the grace of God too. I kind of missed this, but notice back in verse 2, we're going to step back a little bit. We have access. Think about it like this. We have, we have the access into the grace of God. And so, you know, just how if we go home and we find someone who's in our house who doesn't have access to it, we're going to quickly have a baseball bat in our hand ready to get this guy out, right? But as children of God, we have access. We have the very key into the grace of God by faith. See, we're, we are able now to have access into the very peace of God, and that's by faith. And so, verse 3. And not only that, so not only can we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, but we can also glory in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And so not only can we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, but we can also rejoice in our trials as the Christian. And the reason for that being is Jesus putting his best up front, saving us, what is it, you know, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he, and he contrasts that to the hired hand. He says, in the hired hand, when he sees the wolves coming, the hired hand bails. And one thing that shows is that the hired hand is not committed to the sheep. But Jesus was committed to the sheep. And one big proof that Jesus is committed to his sheep was the fact that of what he said right before that is he says, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So we can rejoice in our tribulation knowing that Jesus is our good shepherd. And because Jesus lays down his life for the sheep, one thing that shows us is that he's committed to his sheep. That, you know, when, when something costs too much, we don't go through with it. You know, there's things in our lives that might just cost too much, whether that's financially or whether that's just with whatever you know I, I don't want to go to the gym the six-pack for me just costs too much I don't want to eat that good I don't want to go to the gym that much it's just it costs too much and when you think about our very lives Jesus looked at us and knew, knowing the cost he said that that doesn't cost too much I I'm willing to lay down my life for the sheep and so we can rejoice in our tribulation because Jesus is committed to us because he laid down his life for us and so we can rejoice in those tribulations in kind of this safety net, knowing that Jesus Christ himself has died for us. And what tribulations do is that tribulations, look with me, verse 3, tribulation produces a perseverance. It, it kind of helps us to, to take our eyes off of ourselves. And, and I don't want to diminish any hardships that we may be going through right now, because I, I would humbly admit that there would, I'm sure there's plenty of us in this room that I would learn a tremendous amount about what suffering feels like and what hurt feels like. 
And so I don't want to diminish the suffering that, we, that goes on in our lives, but according to the Bible, that's, that's not too much to the fact that we shouldn't rejoice as Christians because what it does is it takes our eyes off of ourselves and it brings us to a greater dependency of God. And God doesn't tell us to rejoice in the Lord so that he could be all puffed up with pride, but he tells us to rejoice in the Lord because it, it's good for us. It's good for us that we would rejoice in the Lord. It's good for, for us that, that we would be able to take our eyes off of ourselves. You know, I think a, a big part of being mentally healthy is the ability to take our eyes off of ourselves. Because typically the people who spend all their lives trying to be happy are typically the people who are most, mostly depressed. Because putting your eyes on yourself all the time, all the time, all the time, it just, it, it drives you mad. It drives you up the wall. And so what the tribulation does is it takes our eyes off of ourselves and it puts them on Jesus Christ. And that's what that character is right there. It, it produces a perseverance. It allows us to move forward. And what it does is it produces character inside of us. And what that character does is it brings us to a greater dependency of God. In verse 5 it says, or no, sorry, verse 4, the character produces hope. And so what this character does is it produces the hope inside of us that allows us to what verse 2 says, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so tribulations, all in all, what it does as a Christian, it, it allows us to rejoice and it brings us to a greater dependency of God. It brings us into a refining period that we, that we might know God more. You know, I, I can testify in my own life of just... Hardships, you know, may, you know, certain seasons in life being harder than others. And every day, you know, when you're in the fire, it may not seem like anything crazy is happening. But if you just keep on going, and if you stay in His Word, and you keep coming to church, and sometimes I'm not a perfect, sometimes I don't want to come to church. I'm like, man, I got to go to church because it's just good for the soul. And I don't really feel good tonight, but I'm going to go to church because I know that it's good and I know that I need to worship God. And so it's, it's going every single day. It's continuing to move forward. It's that perseverance. It's staying in the Word. It's staying in prayer. It's staying in fellowship. It's doing things that you might not want to do, but you continue to do it because you know that's what God says. You know that it honors God, and you know that it's what's ultimately good for you. And you know what? Time goes by, and you look back six months, a year, two years, and you're like, man, you know what? The Lord had me that entire time. Even though that season was tough, even though I wondered how I was going to get through that, I can look back and recount the faithfulness of God through all of that. And you know what it does? It allows us to hope. It's that faith looking forward. Recognize, you know what? Sometimes times are tough, but you know what that's produced in me? It's produced in me a greater relationship with God. It's allowed me to look forward to Him, not look to myself so much. And so verse 5, it says, Now this hope, does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so this very hope that we're talking about, this hope doesn't disappoint like, like the, the hope that we exercise in our football team sometimes. Like I said earlier, this hope does not disappoint. The hope for the Christian is, is faith looking forward, just how believing and, and it's counted to us righteousness is faith looking backwards, but this hope is faith looking forward and this hope doesn't disappoint, because why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's, who was given to us. And so, the reason this hope does not disappoint is because, 
what is it, Ephesians chapter 2? You know, the, the Holy Spirit is the very seal upon our lives that's setting us apart for the kingdom of God. So God put down his down payment, the Holy Spirit, to secure our spot. Because if we have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of us, that's not something that the world can give. And it's certainly not something that the world can take away. And so that's our seal of, hey, you know what? I'm looking down at sinful Ryan Soldano, but he's clothed in the righteousness of my son Jesus. And I've given him my Holy Spirit as my down payment to one day bring that uh, completely into fruition when we enter into eternity. And so think about it like this. If, if you're selling a car and you have this car listed for $1,000 and someone drives by and says, hey, you know what, Ryan? I really want that car, but would you hold it for me? I'd probably say no. First come, first serve, buddy. But this guy, wanting it so bad, says, you know what, I want this car so bad that I'm going to give you half of it up front. Then would you hold it for me? And I'd go, well, absolutely, sure. If you're going to give me 500 bucks up front, if you bail, I still get your 500 bucks. So I'm counting on you coming back because you've put down your down payment. That he's going to come back because he's already put down his down payment. That's, it's the engagement ring for the believer. We, we have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of us that's living proof that Jesus Christ will come back. And he's going to come and grab his bride and we're going to see him for who he truly is. You know, and so for the believer, through all of this, being justified by faith and the, the, just the basic uh, life applications that we can take through knowing that we're justified by faith, we have peace with God now, not as, not as we were when we were younger, you know, when we were doing dumb stuff before we knew the Lord, we now have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, we have this whole new benefit package. You know, when we, when we go and apply to jobs, and, and one, one thing that we always seem to ask when, when getting a job is, well, what's the benefit package? Well, what, what does this include? Am I going to get three, four weeks of paid vacation? Am I going to get the company car? Am I going to get a, a killer 401k? What's, what's the retirement plan going to look like? Well, according to Romans chapter 5, we have quite the benefit package. And I'll tell you too, Romans chapter 5 also tells us in regards to the retirement plan that we have, we have quite the retirement plan. And, and one day we're going to see God for who he truly is. And like we had mentioned earlier, look, we've already experienced the love of God in our hearts. And, and what that does is it's driving us to a, to a place of, man, I, man, Lord, I kind of just want more of this love of God. I wish I had more of the love of God every single day. Well, one day we're, gonna, one day we're actually going to get that. And one day that's going to come completely in. And we're going to experience the fullness of the love of God. And so because of that, we can rejoice in, in our current situations. We can rejoice in whatever is going on throughout the world. We can rejoice in, you know, the good things, the bad things. One day if the Cowboys do win the Super Bowl, I can certainly rejoice in that. And you know what, if the Cowboys do not win the Super Bowl, you know what, I know that God has a plan. And if he's not working something outside of me, he's working something inside of me. And so maybe that disappointment's supposed to just bring me closer to you, Lord. Maybe that's why you made me a Cowboys fan. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.